sports talk with absolutely no sports talk then welcome to the just not sports podcast this is the show where a couple guys who work in sports talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like just not sports on today's show we are going to go deep into art and postmodern art and a ton of other forms of art that only gareth knows about on this show with former nba player and oklahoma state basketball legend Desmond Mason, who has really created a great second career for himself in the art world. We're going to talk to him about his gallery, his um, exhibitions, his style, and even how he's dabbling in fashion design. Uh, It's a great interview. We hope you stick around for it. I'm your co-host, Brad Burke. I'm a sports marketer in Chicago. And if I sound a little different this week, guys, it's just because I'm so damn lonely. All the co-hosts, have abandoned me this week. Adam Willard, our fresh-faced sports media strategist, on the road for work again. Gareth Hughes, our Emmy-winning sports producer, out on the road at a shoot. And even Joe Reed, producer Joe, set up this equipment for me and then walked down the hall back to his desk to do work on a deadline since his boss was about to go nuclear that he was blowing that off to work on Just Not Sports. So it's just me, so I'm going to dispense with the hammers, with the pleasantries, Go right into the interview. We had a really fun time talking to Desmond Mason. Uh, He's a great guy. Go check him out on social media. We'll give you the addresses to that in a minute. Um, But he's he's always posting interesting work. He's someone with a true talent and a true passion for uh, for art. Gareth and I had a chance to talk to him a few weeks ago. We talked about um, his his style, his influences, his upcoming exhibitions. And just a lot of the different types of work that he's done. Also, if you like what you see there and you want to see a little bit more of his work, uh, Carmelo Anthony can help you out with that. Melo's got his own website, and there um, they did a great video vignette with with Desmond kind of showing his process. You get to see a little bit more about his style and how it comes to life. So we'll share that, uh, that link uh, on our social channels. But for now, we're going to get right to the interview after this. Where I wanted to start, and we had a lot of we had a lot to unpack here because we love, um, you know, we we love so much of your work, and we have a lot of questions about, um, you know, all of your you know sort of collection and, and where you're headed with your artistic career. One thing I always wondered is, um, with somebody who has artistic talent, um, you know, we grow up and you're in class, and and you see a lot of a lot of students that are just. You know, they're naturally artistic, but I think there's that huge barrier between, um, you know, hey, I'm I'm I've got some skills and I am an artist. And when did you know that you were that you were an artist at the core? I've been doing it since I was 11. I um, I did a bunch of tagging buildings. I rode with a bunch of guys on skateboards and it was a way for me just to get away from, you know, my neighborhood, my side of town. And. Um, it was also a way just to express myself. And so, you know, at 11, I started actually doing ceramic work, um, wood carving stuff. And then by the time I got to high school, I got more into drawing classes and, and a little painting. And in college, I really started to pick up my skills. But, you know, around 11 or so, I really kind of started to take it seriously. Prior to that, I was just one of those kids that just drew on his books and on his desk. And But around 11 years old is when I started taking it pretty serious. Desmond, you said you tagged a lot of buildings growing up. I'm just curious, like, 
what would be the the best like what 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 sort of public display like that of graffiti or whatever you want to call it are you the most proud of and are you are you most hopeful it still exists somewhere <laughs> man you know back then we weren't really doing like any uh you know any mural work it was literally just our neighborhood you know so i was just spraying with our neighborhood and faces and you know so it wasn't a lot and and uh, to be very very clear it could have got me in a lot of trouble but um <laughs> it was you know at the time i was i was running with the skate boys and you know we're we all on half bikes and pulls and doing the ollies and flip kicks and thinking we were really cool but um you know, just any of that stuff around town, man. I'm, a lot of it's gone because my town, my small town has changed so much since um, I was young there. But, uh, you know, it was just really simple stuff, just kind of like tagging your neighborhood. You know, it wasn't a lot of big-time graffiti stuff. And um, at that time, you live in Waxahachie, Texas, I wasn't really in tune with what was going on, you know, nationally from an art standpoint. You know, we're talking in the 80s, so Basquiat and Warhol and, and Marcus Suarez and all those guys were out of New York doing their thing. Um, but, you know, I was in small town of Waxahachie, Texas. And um, so, you know, we were just writing what we could write and represent our neighborhood. I see a lot of that 80s influence in some of your work. And I want to get into that later, Desmond, if you will. But before then, I want to ask, I want to focus on that stuff in the 80s. Like, what was your tag back then? I mean, was this something that came out of, look, I'm going to, you're someone who played basketball and now, like, started an art career uh, well, tagging. I mean, did some of this come out of rap music's popularity back in the 80s? And, you know, how did this all come together for you? Yeah, you know, it was, uh, you know, we're, we're all influenced. You know, I wrote music, hip-hop music when I was growing up. We all beatboxed and we all danced. Mm-hmm. And I, I used to cut hair as well. So, you know, I used to really use my artistic skills, cutting Nike signs, Adidas signs, and guys in my neighborhood mm-hmm. hair for five bucks. Um, so, you know, you pick up influence from so many different places, uh, whether it be music or TV, just cultural. But, you know, me back then, again, we represent our neighborhood. As, as time progressed and I started learning more about artists, I went through my phase of Pollock and, and Rothko and all those guys. And now, you say, you move into modern-day abstract expressionism, street artwork. Um, you see some of these great artists do things nowadays. You know, you kind of pick up on it. You know, everything is recycled anyway. Uh, but... You know, for me, I just always really rep my hood. You know, now it's more um, structured and dialed in and brand marketed. But, um, you know, again, I'm always trying to find ways to be creative and, and, you know, new ways to tag and um, new brands and interactive art and street art. You know, it's just uh, it's a fun process. So ever since the 80s, when Basquiat came up and Fab Five Freddy came up there, there I feel like there's been this debate about. The what is the line between street art and fine art and where stuff that comes from the street and starts on the street moves into the gallery world and the fine art world and frankly gets monetized. And so I feel I want to know where do you fall in that conversation? I mean, what are your is there a distinction to you or something that you create on the street just as valid a piece of art as something that you create for a gallery? Yeah, I don't, I don't think, uh, you know, I don't think your location of creativity defines whether your work is, is non-valid. A lot of people look at street artists as just these guys that are painting on buildings and there's really no value to it. And they look at them as gimmicks. And, and I say to myself, I'm like, just because, you know, 
uh, Monet or Mayonnaise sat in front of a canvas and, you know, with a, a cool hat on and a great mustache and, and painted lilies and, and impressionism and so on and so forth, their art is no val- not, no more valid than, you know, Basquiat or Brainwash or, or Banksy. Or, I mean, all these guys were innovative and they're all right. Basquiat, you know, one of my favorite artists, he was innovative in his own right. People looked at Jackson Pollock as crazy. He was innovative in his own right. I mean, he's one of the godfathers that switched over to that extreme abstract expressionism, that movement work, Mark Rothko, the same way. Yep. Um, you know, it just, it's one of those scenarios where and people look at Picasso as well. In his early, for 15 or 16, he's one of the best hyper-realists walking the planet. And then by the end of his life, you know, he was painting eyeball to the left and nose to the right. You know, it's just all progressive. So, you know, everybody's work is valid. I think fine art is... is it's categorized by people that honestly don't paint. They just they, they they're critics and and they have a they have a voice. And so you know, for me, I don't get too caught up in that, man. It's just all about being creative. It's funny. I think you're a hundred percent right when you say that. Look, I love art critics. I love art criticism. Um, <clears throat> but at the same time, I think there's something very truthful about what you said. I, I there's a de Kooning biography that came out like ten years ago. And I remember there was a, an anecdote that at the end of his life, one of the last paintings or artists he traded artwork with was Norman Rockwell. And so you have this master of abstract expressionism trading like personalized works with the most renowned illustrator in American history. And people looked at that and they're like, why would you do that? And he was like, I, have you, I love drawing. Have you seen this guy draw? I mean, he's amazing. And so I think... Artists have an appreciation and can see beyond those distinctions in a way that you don't in a critical or academic sense. And then, and then also, too, you know, just to kind of put it on another plane and, and try to find a way to just balance out the, the, the conversation. You know, I have I'm in the media now from a sports standpoint. I have a radio show. I talk about the Thunder. I talk about the NBA. I talk about football, baseball, bat, all across the board. I talk about sports. I play sports. So I have a right. I have a valid argument when I talk about the game or the games or what it feels like to be in those scenarios. Stephen A. Smith never played, but he has a right. he, he has a he has a voice, and people take his voice seriously. But he never played the game. You got to have critics. You got to have people that you know critique work. They got their cool glasses on and they slid down on their nose and they're looking at work, and they're being critics and writing articles, but they never painted. They never went through the grind of what it takes. They don't understand artists. They understand, quote, unquote, the art. And so you need those people engaged and involved. But yet and still, you know, for me personally, I see it from a different uh, set of eyes. In the art world, I do think that part of the experience of the art um, is receiving the art as the person on the other end of it. So from that perspective, I'm curious to know where where do you find... um, the 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 viewer or the um the person who is uh on the receiving end of of your art how valid do you take their opinion because in my head i when i look at art 
I kind of think of it as an open book for me to make interpretations unless the artist is really trying to make a over like knock you over the head point. And that's a little bit different. As a fan, you're watching the players do their thing. But in the art world, it does seem like whether it's a critic or whether it's someone who's just, you know, looking at it um, or experiencing it, it does feel like it's a more of a two way conversation because you are trying to elicit some kind of emotional response. So I'm curious, do you feel like that's a, a, a completely apples to apples comparison or does the world of art require a certain level of buy-in from the person on the other end that doesn't exist in sports? Well, I mean, and, and uh, honestly, in sports the same way. I mean, when you watch basketball, you're either going to like basketball and appreciate the talent, and you're going to say, that guy's good or that guy's not. Oh, that team's good, that right. team's not. Right. In art, there's really not that big of a, you know, uh, I mean, the factors are pretty much the same because as an artist or as a viewer of art, you're going to like the art or you're not going to like the art. That artist is talented or is not talented. Abstract expressionism, as I learned over time, and I did hyper-realism for a really long time, abstract expressionism, as I learned over time, it's all about what that person is viewing it, how it makes them feel, what they draw from it. The game of any sport is the same way. Some dad can watch the game of baseball and say, man, I remember that time when I watched this game with my dad. It made it, it drew a feeling from them. He has a connection with it. And art's the same way. you got to have a connection. Now, for me, my only issue with critics, and, and critics are critics, and that's what they are, and I'm okay with being critiqued. My, my sport game, was, my, my skills on the court was critiqued all the time. But for me, it's that, that art is trash. That's not art. I'm not, you can't say that's not art. I mean, art is art to the person that creates it, and it's going to be art to somebody that views it. Don't dictate what art is and what art isn't, because you just can't do that. But, you know, again, I think... It's one of those scenarios in the art today, it draws an emotion from people. You know, everything is right. so abstract and, and, you know, it's all about social issues and so on and so forth. It draws these great emotions from people and people, they're allowed to speak on how it makes them feel. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Well, I believe it was Andy Warhol who said, art is anything you can get away with. And I am, I am firmly <laughs> in that camp. That anything... And, and so that's the one part from what Brad asked and what you talked about. The one area where, I mean, look, I never played a professional sports and I've dedicated most of my professional life not to Stephen A. Smithing them, but at least discussing them, being around them and things like that. What I want to say, though, is the one area where we as viewers cannot relate to athletes and the one area where I think it is worth thinking about how we dissect and critique a work of art. You have to look at the finished product. That has to be what you go through. But I do feel like there's this part of things in the last, you know, like there's a process-based element to a lot of art now where what the artist goes through in the studio is now a piece of the work. And so that's where that sort of time spent alone in a studio, I think, correlates to the time that an athlete spends. The hours you spend practicing, honing a craft, working through things, and stuff like that. That is the part of it, Desmond, that I'll agree with you that I think and only an artist can understand. And that's where... I Do, do you f- see a correlation there in basketball between the practice you spent on that and the work you spend in a studio on your art. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have to hone your craft and, you know, and, and, and art and basketball. And I had a interview and a conversation this morning and more sports related, but we talked about art as well. And 
and art and basketball, with the with the scenario of art and basketball and how you connect from the standpoint of the process and the evolution of it all. Basketball, one day the ball stops. Not anymore mm-hmm. because you've gotten older. There's not there's nowhere yeah. else to go. In art, that's not the case. In art, you can always progress. You can always evolve. Like I always say, you evolve or you dissolve. Picasso, he's at a bar. The guy walks up. He gets a napkin. The story goes. He gets a napkin. He asked Picasso what he drums something, and Picasso do it in like 15 seconds. And he told the guy that's five thousand dollars. And the guy goes, it took me 15 <laughs> seconds to draw that. And he goes, no, nah, it took me 30 years to draw that. Absolutely. I mean, it's 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 Matisse in his bed bedridden cancer old and dying and he can't paint anymore and just cutting out paper and making masterpieces out of cut paper like it's constantly pushing yourself to the end i mean i brought up de kooning earlier he's sort of an inspirational figure to me for how he kept pushing his work and how much he could get out of just paint and uh the human figure and abstract painting and trying to but he spent a lifetime working through that. And um, that's where I think what you said is totally valid. So let me ask you more specifically then, Desmond. Who, I've looked at your work. I lo- like, I love it. What, who is it that gets you going? Like, who are the artists that you just totally dig? I was like, oh, I see some Basquiat in here. I see Oscar Murillo. Uh, some Joe Bradley in places, all that sort of stuff. So, like, who is it you're looking for? Do you get out of Oklahoma? Do you get to go to places like L.A., New York with a bigger art scene? Who are you looking to see, and how do you digest art? Yeah, I mean, I'm always looking for something around me. I travel a lot, um, you know, for exhibitions and, and to, you know, for galleries and museums. I've been very fortunate to travel a lot of places. But, you know, for me, top five is, you know, they're all names that most of us know. Um, you know, my number one on the list will be Picasso. After mm-hmm. that, it's going to be Mark Rothko and Jackson Pollock. Um, mm-hmm. I love Basquiat, I love Basquiat, and I mm-hmm. love Kandinsky. And so, those are the guys that I really love their work. But I'm always trying again. I'm always trying to find ways to evolve, find ways to find myself as well. Not just yep. you know be inspired by other people all the time trying to find ways to inspire myself, you know, to, to be better and, and evolve as an artist. But, you know, it's, uh, I had a big argument with a guy, not a big argument, but we had a debate about um, my work. And he said, well, you need to find yourself. You need to, you need to, you need, you need to find a space to stay in. And I said, that's just not true. He said, if you want to be in the gallery, you got to find yourself. And I said, I don't need to be in the gallery. And Picasso created eras of art because he consistently evolved. I mean, cubism. So, I mean, he just, he consistently evolved. And I said, until I feel like I'm done doing everything, I'm going to evolve day by day because my emotions is how I paint. And those emotions change minute to minute, hour to hour, day to day, month to month, year to year. And I won't stay in one place. I get bored. And uh, so, you know, for me, I'm just constantly finding ways to push myself and be inspired by everything that's around me on a daily basis. There's a there's a story about all the abstract expressionists were probably hanging out at the Cedar Tavern, and somebody was saying to Arshiel Gorky, who was like the closest Picasso acolyte, uh, "What will you do if he starts to drip?" And Gorky said, "I'll drip too." And it was basically like, "Look, you've got your influences, and these things happen, but you've got to you got to just 
work through it and then you find something of your own and then you work on that and work on that. So yeah. can I, can I ask then you, do you consider yourself more, are you a basketball player? Are you an artist? Are you both? How do you, how do you kind of parse those in your head? Yeah. I mean, I joked about this I, when I was, you know, first getting drafted and I said, you know, I, I'm an artist. When I, when I retired, that's when I joked about it. I said, I'm an artist. Basketball just got in the way for 10 years. <laughs> you know, that was, that's me. I mean, I've, always, I've always been that guy. I mean, I've always, you know, I can remember when uh, we would buy, you know, in Texas, we'd buy Wrangler jeans and we were drawing Bart Simpson on the jeans, doing the Bartman and, and drawing Basquiat crowns on the jeans and writing our names on the jeans. I mean, we were doing it back then. And so, again, now it's just, you know, I've found ways to evolve, but you know, people that know me, I'm an artist. I travel with my portfolio. I did it in college. Um, I didn't go to clubs and bars. I just stayed in my room and painted. I would buy supplies on the road, watch movies, make music. Um, you know, I, I was, you know, I read a lot. So that was kind of who I was as an individual. And now daily, I mean, I got paint on me somewhere every day, every day. Uh-huh. And so it's, uh, but it's fun, man. I love it. I love creating. and I love making people happy when they see my work and, and creating stuff that they love. And, so, I mean, I, I enjoy it, man. It's, I, I can't get tired of it. Plus, I'm not getting the elbow in the face and my knees aren't hurting. You know, I go to my studio and leave and feel good. <laughs> Desmond, first of all, uh, to our listeners, you are not lying about uh, having paint on you. I, if you go to your Instagram, um, you know, D, D Mason art, you see pictures of you wearing jeans that are just like covered in art. It's like, I love it, man. It's like, it's so fun. That said, I have noticed, um, I have noticed just following you in social media that you, you are, um, and I don't, I, I can't say if it's an, if it's, if it's a newer trend. So I, I don't want to necessarily make that assumption, but you're doing a lot of work with fashion. You are, um, uh, you know, clearly, uh, you know, you, you see a lot of, uh, examples of you, um, you know, designing, um, sneakers, other, other types of clothes. I'm just curious what you are interested in most about the work you're doing, um, in the fashion world and what are your ambitions for where to go with this? Man, right now, you know, this last probably two weeks, I I traveled for two weeks. Um, me and my girlfriend, we traveled to, uh, Mexico and I, you know, had some clients out of Mexico on a relaxation. Went to Miami to prep for a, a partnership uh, exhibition at Basel with the Mandarin Oriental. So we went and did some, you know, look at the spaces and uh, then went to the Bahamas and, and did some, you know, some inspirational stuff there and took a bunch of photography because I do photography as well. And then got back home and, and things just took off. There was a lot of things that were on the back burner and I just kind of attacked them because I was inspired and you know, we've done everything from legging collaborations with Gold Sheep. And those guys started Roxy Quicksilver Crew, those guys. Um, we did, I've done Chuck Taylors. I've done custom one-off Louis Vuittons and Celine bags. We're doing, we're prepping for swimsuit line. Uh, I closed a deal with 4-7 Apparel to do hats and T-shirts and socks. And, but it's all artistic. You know, I love it. I, my last exhibition here in Oklahoma, I painted ballerinas live. I have three ballerinas from Oklahoma City Ballet, and uh, I splatter painted them live in front of an audience that came to, to the next the exhibition. It was a phenomenal thing. Um, people loved it. I loved it. It was inspiring. I had to wear Chuck Taylors, so I splattered in Chuck, splattered in tutus, and you know it was such a fun thing. But you know, with apparel, you know the sky's the limits, man. If if uh, you know if you're focused, you can get some really cool stuff, and you can do some really cool stuff. And for me. You know, I want to be able to roll out 
you know, some wonderful lines of apparel, whatever the company may be, and do some artistic stuff and, you know, give people some, some cool stuff, you know, like make them art pieces. We want limited numbers. Um, we're going to rotate them out quickly. So if it's 100 units, that is it. Then we move on to the next 100, but they're different. And people want to collect them just like they do art. So, you know, I, I love it. I love, again, pushing my limits and seeing how far I can go. And, you know, if I fail, you know, at one area, then I move on to the next one. If it doesn't go the way I think, I move on to the next one. That's just how you do in sports. Sometimes you make shots, sometimes you miss them. But, you know, I'm going to keep shooting them. Desmond, I have, two, I have a two-part question. The first is, the most disappointed I ever was buying a pair of clothes. I got a Nike gift card at a corporate event. I went to the Nike store to buy the original Jordans, and the only ones they had were the completely blank white ones. I'm mailing these to you, my friend, and <laughs> you, can, you can either mail them back blank, or if you put anything on them, my friend, I will wear them uh, much more proudly. Uh, second, if you're in either Chicago or New York, you are painting one of us. Uh, you're drip painting one of us live. Like we are going to capture that process. <laughs> I, I think this is fascinating, man. Like I, I, I think that would be super fascinating, especially if you're engaging. Not you're not just. I'm imagining you not just engaging with um, the models, but also with the audience. Are you talking about your process? Is this something that um, is this something that is an interactive experience, or are they just watching you work? Either way, I would find super compelling. Yeah, they're just watching me work. You know, I had some, you know, we had these ballerinas just explain the way it worked out. We had this event. The event goes on for about an hour and a half, and then I have a live um, painting session that I do for all attendees. And so we had these graceful, wonderful, beautiful ballerinas. They come out, and they walk very slowly to this playlist that I put together, this song I wanted to paint to. And so they walk out very slowly through the crowd, outdoors, onto this 16-by-16-foot platform, elevated, and as they walked past me, I had 20, you know, cans of latex house paint. And as they walked past me, I just literally dipped my hands to this paint. And as they walked by, I just drizzled every one of them. They walked by and they got in line and they got into a pose. And when the beat dropped in the music, I just had two handful of paint and I splattered all three of them at one time. And then from there, it just went on for like seven to eight minutes of continuous painting and splattering. And they would change a pose. Uh, every time I made a circle around, they would change their pose. It was a, it was very very cool, man. We we put together a really uh, good thing for Oklahoma City, and, and uh, it was it was for a charitable purpose as well. Um, the Olympic Committee was there, and so it was uh, it was so much fun. So, all right, you're talking about doing all this in Oklahoma. That's obviously where you live and where you work and where your work is. I have to ask because he's one of my favorites. What are your thoughts on Ed Ruscha, Oklahoma's greatest artistic, uh, you know, legacy? Are you familiar with his work, and what are your thoughts on it? No, absolutely, I am. And, you know, if, if you, if I'm originally from Texas, yeah, but if you live in Oklahoma City, you know, just saying I was, I'm from Texas, but coming to Oklahoma City, I mean, you hear a handful of names, and, uh, you know, he's one of them. There's a, there's a handful of other guys that are around, and, uh, but, you know, just one of the most iconic creative guys from my whole entire region, if not the country. So when you when you're from this area and you you know you have people that inspire not just you know your area, your region, but the whole entire country, man, it's just it's phenomenal. So Oklahoma City is very proud of um, the success of people that have come out of here, and obviously he's one on top of the list. So then that was that leads into my other question, which is, I mean, look, I live in New York, I go see art all the time. You're in Oklahoma City, and 
you're there, you're painting ballerinas and painting every day. How do you have how do you manage a thriving artistic practice far away from the art centers of New York, LA, the international things like that? How do you do that in Oklahoma City? Because I think it's fascinating that you're managing to do it. Uh, one is the world has changed. I mean, we're you know, connected through social media and technology, so that obviously helps a lot. Um, for me, I push my brand. I push my work. I've been fortunate to make connections in my years of playing, the people that have been successful, and they're also art collectors as well. So, you know, they know that there's nothing about my work and about me as an artist that's a gimmick. You know, I, I, I try to be, I'm a true artist. I feel like I'm a true artist. But I travel a bunch. I've been blessed. I've had, uh, you know, exhibitions that travel throughout Asia. We did nine countries in Asia, the Asia region. Um, done, uh, you know, I've been to Madrid and working on some work there, in Rome as well. Um, done Cabo San Lucas, you know, Mexico, a few, a handful of times, the Bahamas, all over the country, New York, LA, Chicago, Texas, you know, uh, the Pacific Northwest. And, you know, I just keep pushing myself. Miami Art Basel for the last three years. This year I got a solo yep. show there, so I'm excited about that. Um, and then, you know, my, then, then, you know, just constantly pushing, but the one I'm most proud of, man, I'm, I might be even jumping a cut on this, but I, I just got the news, uh, yesterday. Um, you know, I've, I was contacted, I'm doing my radio show, just through text message and, um, I'll be coming to New York June 29th to, uh, exhibit work and be awarded and speak for the United Nations. Um, so I'm like, Amazing. I'm crazy excited about that. And, um, but you know, I, I, I keep pushing and. Um, you know, I'm constantly working and I'm constantly trying to evolve and people are responsive. I love that. I, actually, keep us posted on that. We'll be happy to share um, news of, uh, you know, uh, when things are happening and, and keep our audiences informed. Um, I got to ask you this. I've always wondered, does an artist ever get nervous after a particular work that you're really excited about to put the signature on? Like, I'm sure by now your signature, especially as an autograph who signed a lot of autographs, you're probably just like, it's second nature. But I've always wondered whether there's ever a feeling like, oh man, I don't want to mess this up like by, you know, by screwing it up. And then you can't, you know, how easy is it to, uh, to take it off and do, or am I just way overthinking this man? No, no, I mean, it's, it is, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm a much better at, at it than I used to be, but, you know, it depending on the scale of the work, you got to have the right size brush, you know, whether you're going to do it while it's wet, you know, you want it to be engraved in, you want to do it while it's dry, you know, sometimes you get anxious because I love finishing the piece and putting that final touch on it, but it's not dry enough yet. So I got to wait and I get antsy. I, I want to sign it. Um, but I've signed some pieces that, I felt like I could have signed better. I just did um, a buddy of mine, we, uh, he commissioned me, and the signature now, the more I look at it, the more I love it. But I did a Viperhood, a 1993 original Viperhood for him. Um, he's a car collector, and you know we did this kind of Pollock style abstract expressionism and then stenciled the 93 original Viper logo on it. And, and, uh, and then I signed it. And when I signed it, I felt like that end, at the end of my name, the brush flattened out and made it too fat, that, that, that last little swoop. Um, and then they clear-coated this thing like 20 times. And now the more I look at it, the more I love it. It's kind of gives it some character. But when I first did it, I, I thought to myself, man, I messed this up. And I couldn't take it off. It was no going back. But um, I left it alone. And I said, I'm going to live with it for a couple of days. And, you know, now I love it. Uh, you know, but, yeah, we get nervous. If, it is second nature. But sometimes you sign something, you're just like, man, I wish I would get it a little different. 
I love that you asked that question, Brad. I love the answer because I've talked to... There's an artist we own a couple paintings by, and I went and did a studio visit with him, and he had just had a catalog put out, and there was... uh, The cover of the catalog was just his signature. And he was like, do you know how long I spent practicing that (laughs) signature on how to sign my paintings? He's like, no, you've got to... You, it's a part of the piece like anything else. I mean, honestly, it's a part of your brand. Um, it's how you tag it to go back to the beginning of this conversation. Uh, Desmond, I got to ask you, because uh, you're not the first person we've talked to about art on here, but it's all NBA players. And I've hammered Amari Stoudemire, who's been really publicly touting uh, you know, art collecting and things like that. Do you think art is bigger in the NBA than the other sports? I mean, the NBA is the most stylish league by far, and it's not even close. And do you think that sort of relationship between fashion and art uh, is part of why it seems like the NBA is the most art forward and art appreciating of the major sports? Oh, I, I think so for sure. I mean, I just think that guys um, have made a a conscious effort to get more, you know, in the world of art. And it's taken collectors within the NBA to kind of teach the younger guys. I started collecting early and, you know, I went way, way on the left side of the fence when I started collecting, not things that, you know, my friends were collecting because Grant Hill's a big collector and um, uh, um, uh, Melo is a collector as well. And D-Wade is now becoming a collector. Obviously, uh, Amari is really into the arts. I saw him in Basel last year. And, you know, he's, he has his, his push uh, with the Melek collection. And um, so there's there's a lot of uh, collectors within the league. Uh, but, yeah, I think it's a lifestyle thing. You know, guys, same with fashion. You got some fashion in football. You have zero fashion in baseball from the standpoint of that. Only get into fashion. <laughs> it's so true. You know, and I from the standpoint You're not wrong. You are not wrong. <laughs> so. Same with hockey and soccer. You have international soccer. You have kind of a lifestyle scenario. But, um, you know, I think it's the lifestyle thing. I started out, I remember buying a painting, and I bought an original Picasso etching with a watermark after aftermark on it. And it was probably about uh, 18 by 20 frame. And it was expensive, and I rode back with it on my team plane. I just carried it the whole huh. time. And people would think I was losing my mind. Like, you know, and so I showed to my teammates. None of, most of them had no idea what it was. They didn't know anything about it. And I'm thinking to myself, you, you don't know who Picasso is? These guys didn't right. know. But from there, I started collecting more. And, you know, I love my collection of work. And, uh, you know, but it's inspiring to have that stuff around the house. I love living with art. I love that my kids are growing up with art in the house. I love dragging them to museums and galleries. I mean, like, I'm trying to... Look, you're the subject, and I'm trying not to make this about me. What I'm saying is I I love what you're doing because I think, I think it's important. I wish more people knew who Picasso was, who Richard Prince were. I think we'd all be better people. So I love where you're, where you're going with this. So Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. For the people listening, um, who are a couple of artists that may not be huge, you know, household names? I hope most people have heard of of Picasso, uh, but but who who would you say, hey, go take a couple minutes, get online, and check out, you know, you know, one or two one or two artists that you feel like are a great um, inspiration either to you or a great entree into the art world for someone um, looking to learn more. Um, I'll 
But a lot of people know Mr. Brainwash, and I've watched that documentary, Exit to the Gift Shop. If you hadn't seen yeah. it, it's a great documentary to watch. It has Banksy and Shepard Ferry and all those guys in it. But I really like what he did. I mean, a lot of people criticized him for the way he did it, but you know what? Same with, I mean, Bosky, I used to say Warhol painted by numbers. I mean, like it wasn't really, you know, it's, he was a creative guy, innovative. Um, uh, obviously, I love Banksy. I'm a huge Banksy fan. I'm in the street art right now. I'm really into street art. Um, there's a friend of mine that's a great artist. He's out of Philly. His name is King Saladin. He's all over the place right now as well, painting Aventador Lamborghinis and Rose Royce Wraiths and, you know, all kinds of craziness. Um, Alec Monopoly is all over the place. You know, he's kind of got the Banksy thing where he keeps his face covered up for the most part. <clears throat> but a really talented guy, and he kind of found his niche. And people love it, but I'm okay with that. People may think it's gimmicky. But for me personally, I mean, I'm, I'm okay with um, guys finding their niche and just capitalizing on it. That doesn't mean they're not artists. It doesn't mean they're not being progressive. Uh, but today's art world, it's funny, I have these conversations. Today's art world, that to be a true artist, to so some of these kids that are out here today, you got to be a struggling artist. And I'm not trying to be a struggling artist. I don't know about everybody else. Like, I want to be a successful artist and sell my work while I'm living, not when I'm dead. And have some success and enjoy it. Enjoy it. I want to enjoy it. And some people may say, well, you're not an artist. No, whatever. I'm just branding my craft. Picasso did it. Some of the other guys didn't. They died as alcoholics and drug addicts. And now their work's worth 40, 50, 60 million. But you know what? The, the world has changed now. And you can market and brand yourself and be successful while you live as opposed to you know, why when you're dead and your art can still live on after you're gone and you've done something for yourself, your family, and the art world. Amen to that. Yeah, I mean, look, it's been a joy to talk to you. You've given us so much time. I just want to encourage everyone to go check out your work. You're very good about sharing it online, which I think is fantastic. Um, on Twitter, uh, D Mason Art, Instagram, same handle. Uh, we wish you nothing but the best. Congratulations on all your success, and, and please keep us posted what you're working on. We want we want to share this type of work with the Just Not Sports uh, um, listeners and audience. So uh, you know, best of best of luck moving forward, man. We love it. All right, man. I, I appreciate it. And I have to say this one thing, man. And I left him out, and I hate that I did because I met him, and he's a phenomenal guy, um, crazy dude, so much fun. But I think one of the best artists in the game today and uh, very inspiring and I just sat and talked to him and I follow him and you can follow him on Instagram as well and it's Retina oh big fan love that dude love Retina I had a chance to sit and chat with him and went to his exhibition at Basel but that guy is insane he's so good so if you had not seen Retina's work man you gotta do yourself a favor and check out Retina on Instagram hey, I thought you were gonna say Jeremy Shockey because I was tweeting at you a few a few months ago when Shockey was like putting some stuff up and I was like you guys need to collaborate and you're like I'm game and Shockey never got back to us man <laughs> hey man hey you know what hey his loss his loss I know, <laughs> I know. Hey, I wish more. Lots of guys are, I think, are afraid to kind of get out there and try it. Um, but I, I, I don't know, man. Like, I wish more athletes. Uh, like, I wish more athletes were coming to guys like you who are established and saying, "Hey, I've got some talent. Let's collaborate." I bet you would. I mean, you're a great teammate. That's what your whole thing in sports was. So I, I'd like to see more guys kind of step up. If you've got a talent out there and you're sitting on it, call Desmond up. Let's get this done. Hey man, the one the one problem just to you know to just to piggyback that and then uh, and I'll shut my mouth. But um, the one issue with that, and I know what it's like, but you know the way I grew up and what I went through when I was young gave me the confidence. Just you know, hey, I'm not gonna leave anything on the table. 
when you're when you're successful at something at the highest level, the one thing that you cannot take is failure. Guys struggle with failure, and if they have this new thing, the worst thing to do is come out of your box and give it to the public because you're scared. Right. They're gonna, it's gonna flop. You're gonna bust. And guys like me, big, athletic, strong guys that were great players and at the height of their careers, they were the best in the world. They can't handle failure like that. So, but for me, I was like, you know what? Forget it. I'm, I'm all out. I'm going all out. So I hope guys that are out there, man, if you got that talent, whether it be music or instruments, singing, artistically, acting, man, just come out of that box, man, and let the world see it. And if it doesn't work out, then you move on to the next thing. That doesn't mean you're not talented. Sometimes things just don't work out for you. Well said, my friend. Well said. Well, thank you again for joining us. Uh, we'll follow all of your exploits online and uh, can't wait to see more from you. Absolutely, man. I appreciate you guys. Today's show is sponsored by The Weatherneck. We spend a lot of time around athletes and super active people, and two things really stand out to us. They love staying active outdoors all year round, and they need quality equipment to do that. Enter The Weatherneck. The Weatherneck is a modern take on the bandana that's quick, quiet, clean, and comfortable, and it's designed specifically for performance outdoors. It features high-tech fabrics and powerful magnets that make it today's outdoor bandana, and it's comfortable. The center mesh section allows for full breath when active outdoors, and the wicking fabrics eliminate the nasty soaking wetness that can bunch up in fleeces. Everyone knows what it's like to put on like a knit scarf, try to be on a bike out in the cold. It's just awful. Your face gets super wet. And it's super convenient. It removes in one second with one hand. That's amazingly helpful if you're on the bike, on the run, or just outdoors doing your thing. I know the guys who created this. They are super smart, super passionate, the types of people I would trust. Go to theweatherneck.com for more information or to place an order, theweatherneck.com. All right, that's our show for this week. And if you didn't like it, just remember what Malcolm Jenkins says about bow ties. The beauty, my friends, is in the imperfection. Thank you to all our listeners, the beautiful and unique Sparkle Ponies, in the words of Chris Cluey. Subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter, at JustNotSports. Email us tips, thoughts, topics, anything you want, JustNotSports at gmail.com. And um, if, you, uh, if you get to it, go back to some of our recent shows. We've had a lot of fun, a lot of wide-ranging guests uh, Jensen Carp, a.k.a. the rapper Hot Carl, breaking down his new book, Kanye West Owes Me $300, and also talking about uh, his long history with um, with sports rap, uh, the best athlete rappers. That was last week, along with an interview with Hannah Storm from ESPN, talking about her directorial duties for ESPN Films and her work behind the camera. Uh, we've had on Ryan Glaspiegel from The Big Lead. We've had on just a number of other people. So go back, find us at uh, on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Scroll back through the shows. Um, give us your feedback. I don't care if you're giving us feedback from episode one. We always want to hear it. And, uh, and without further ado, we'll bid you goodbye in the words of Shaquille O'Neal. Booty rappers, stay booty.